0: Kids were able to have a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and some amazing things happened. So, thank you. Give yourselves a round of applause. And if you see anybody wearing this shirt, it's because they were on our Chick trip. We were repping the Pacific Northwest Conference, and so we decided to wear these shirts. And right now, I would love to invite Caleb and Brisham up to share.
1: My name is Caleb, and while we are at Chick, we learned a useful tool to help us share the gospel. God created our world with the intention for it to be good. He created people to have a relationship with each other and along with God, along with taking care of the earth. Evil damaged God's creation and with it his intention for the world. Evil also broke our relationships with each other and God. God sent his son Jesus down to restore his creation and our relationships between each other by dying on the cross for our sins. Once we've accepted the gospel, we are sent to serve our communities and restore relationships between ourselves and God. Now, the reason there are lines right here is because we can't go from a broken world without having Christ to fix it. We can't go serving other communities and to help teach them about God if we haven't been restored by Christ.
0: Thank you, Caleb. Thank you, Bishop. Now I'd like to invite Maria up to share.
2: Good morning, everyone. My name is Maria. You've probably seen me up here a few times and as a backup vocalist or back there on AV. I got to be part of a very lucky group of people that was part chick. and it was the first time and my also last time because I just graduated, so there was a lot of things that really stood out to me and one of them was that you, how you go from the water to the wilderness. We had a speaker on Tuesday, which was Robert Madu, who was the first one we saw in the video, who really highlighted that as a Christian and as a believer, There is a trajectory that all of us will go through or have gone through in our our lives. From comfort to conflict or from the water to the wilderness. What Madhu went on to say about, about that was how after John baptized Jesus, Jesus was immediately sent into the wilderness and after fasting for 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. After hearing this, it really spoke to me personally. Because throughout my life, there has been those calm, comforting moments where I experience the water, like chick or mud, for example. However, just like the ever-changing weather in Washington, just wait a few minutes because it will change on you, I had the chaotic, conflict-causing experience of the wilderness where it's hard knowing what direction's up, and having all the temptations of depression and anxiety tell me I'm all on my own, which I have dealt with for the majority of my life. It was hard accepting all of that was part of God's plan for my life. And I am sure there's a few of you that have also experienced some of that as well. Something else I found interesting was, although talked about in Matthew 13 through 17, and John, obviously, for those who keep track, obviously, it's really shown in Mark chapter 1 on how immediate this was happening for Jesus. Jesus gets baptized, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, and the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. One thing Madhu said that is the smile from heaven that attracts the scowl of hell, which means that God isn't not pleased with you. However, Madhu also mentioned that if your life is perfect like a dream or a romantic comedy, it could mean that you haven't done anything good or bad to attract the attention from either. As a closing thought, what really captured my attention about the story of the water in the wilderness was how Jesus drove away the devil after fasting for 40 days, all while being tempted by sin. After being at Chick, I realized the wilderness is going to be that constant recurring theme in my life and in all our lives, but we do just have to remember that there is water waiting on the other side of whatever conflict and chaos that will arise in life. Thank you.
0: We now have a video that was put together by Amelia.
3: My name's Amelia, and a couple weeks ago I got the awesome opportunity to travel to the Covenant Youth Conference in Nashville called CHICK, and while there I heard lots of really heartening sermons, including one by Pastor Megan Marshman. During her sermon she had many really important ideas and concepts to keep in mind as a Christian growing in faith, but perhaps the one that struck me the hardest was one that she had in the very beginning of her sermon, simply about cups. So, here's a cup I totally had lying around and did not place before the beginning of this video. (laughs) Basically, in this analogy, everyone has their own cup filled with love. And I find that I and many of my friends will go around splashing love and kindness on others because, you know, that's what we all should do. So we splash love on our classmates and on our family and on our friends and on our teammates. And that in itself is wonderful. but. Here's the unhealthy thing that I realize I fall into much too often. I love people, which is great, but I then be holding out my now-emptied cup out to them, for them to fill up with equal words of praise and acceptance. We become dependent on others to be what fill us up, for their opinions and approval of our appearance and personality and talent and work to be what defines our own self-worth and value. But when we hold out our own cups for others to fill us up, our cups will never be filled. I mean, imagine just splashing water into this. It's not gonna be enough to drink from. The viewpoints of others can never truly make us feel loved. They will always just splash out, leaving a 16th full cup or even less than that, really. However, when we face our cup away from the world, from all its temporary pleasures and safeties and tilt our cup up, the way a cup was meant to sit, We are not filled with the simple opinions of the people around us, but are filled to the brim, overflowing and flooding, with love from up there, God. (laughs) We don't need the wavering approval of those around us, because we are already loved so deeply, and cared about so strongly by the only opinion that truly matters. When God said that we are all made in his image, that wasn't just something to put on a Pinterest board, or to put on a vintage wooden sign. He means that we are all made just how we wanted, that he sculpted and created us with intention and care, and that he loves us just how we are. Overthinking everything you say or how you present yourself or how you seem to live isn't what really matters because you, the true you, with all your quirks and oddities is who God made. God didn't make us to be all the same. I mean, that would be incredibly boring if we all had one person just walking around the earth in millions. I mean, that wouldn't be interesting at all. What makes humanity incredible is our differences and our oddities and our quirks and how each of us are unique from one another. And so trying to fit in with the cool kid next door or a specific crowd by being someone that you're really not isn't that important. When we stop looking for the approval of everyone else around us we can be filled by his own love which then overflows to everyone around us like imagine this cup in niagara falls (laughs) i don't know about you but i'm pretty sure this cup wouldn't only be filled but everyone's cup around it would also but this wouldn't be from my own cup's water but from the water from god himself Essentially, what I'm saying is in this huge convoluted metaphor is that if we stop trying to worry so much about everyone else's opinion and think more about God's, we don't only feel more full ourselves, but we help to fulfill everyone around us too. And that's all. <laughs>
0: Hopefully, at this point, you have no doubt as to why I love hanging out with these amazing young people. It is truly an honor and a privilege to serve with them. Will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share the way you have been working in the lives of these students. And uh, we just ask that you would open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to what it is you have to say to us today. In your son's holy name, we pray these things. Amen. Last week, Lisa Eastman preached on the 23rd Psalm, and I uh, found it kind of interesting because that psalm kept coming up at Chick. It came up during our small group time. It came up during a leader's devotional. And most of all, it was just on my mind a lot. Uh, the 23rd Psalm had become pretty important to me when I was in about fifth grade. John Olson was my Sunday school teacher, and he broke the 23rd Psalm down for us. He spent four weeks teaching it to us. He, he, he developed this incredible, beautiful visual image in my head that I've, I've yet to be able to shake. And it shaped the way I think about who God is as that shepherd, And it honestly continues to shape the way I view myself as someone who belongs to him. And and over the years, I've taken great solace in the fact that I don't need to fear when I'm experiencing that dark shadow of death. But I do anyway. (laughs) And, and I know that God is with me, present with me every day, every hour, yet I still have these moments where I call out to him, and I'm like, God, where are you? Fear and anxiety is a reality in our lives. And honestly, it's been a reality since the third chapter of Genesis, the third chapter of the entire Bible. We have this story with four characters. And it starts with just three characters. And even if you've never been to church, you probably have seen images of an apple tree with a serpent wrapped around it. You've got Adam and Eve buck naked with a few well placed fig leaves, right? <laughs> and, the, and the serpent is saying, Oh, come on. Did God really say, Don't eat this? Are you sure? I think God's just trying to be a little controlling, and so they stand there, and they choose to be disobedient, and one of the first realities of their disobedience is they begin to be afraid, and they hide from God, but God is good, and he searches after them, and he takes care of their needs. But the reality is, is there are still consequences to their disobedience. In a lot of our translations, we read that Eve is to have pain in childbirth, and Adam is to have toil when he tries to farm the land. But in the Hebrew, pain and toil are actually just one word used to express both. And it's probably more accurately translated as anxiety. Fear and anxiety have been a reality in this world ever since it became broken. According to the National Institute for Mental Health, this year, 19% of the U.S. population will experience a diagnosable anxiety disorder. 30% at some point in their lifetime will be diagnosed with anxiety. And whether you've been diagnosed or not, fear is that reality of our life. Otherwise the Bible probably wouldn't mention it over 365 times. In the 27th Psalm, we find it mentioned, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, with God as our light and our salvation, with God as our stronghold, what is left in that shadow of death for us to be afraid of? Even in the presence of our enemies, He anoints our head with oil, our cup overflows. Psalm 27, 6. My head is lifted up above my enemies all around me. And it seems not that our enemies are going to disappear once we have that relationship with Christ. It's just that we have God who has our back and is going to help us deal with that. So it's easy, right? If it is, I'm doing something terribly wrong. Because <laughs> I still have fears. I still have strongholds that aren't God. But I see in the psalmist's writing that I'm not the only one who, even though I know the truth, still struggle with the fear. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase Psalm 27. God, you are so rad, and I don't need to be afraid. You trip up my enemies even when they're after me. And even when mean people suck, you've got my back. I want to be part of your kingdom. God, you are my protector. And I'm going to sing to you because you are the bomb diggity. God, stay close to me. Don't don't leave me. Seriously, God, please stick with me. I'm in trouble here. Don't give up on me. Help me do the right thing. Yeah, God's good. You can trust him. He's got your back. It's that, that roller coaster, right? And we see it time and time again. We saw it in the 23rd Psalm here again in the 27th Psalm. We see it in Jesus' life as he gets baptized and then he goes into the wilderness, right? We, we saw it when he was born, right? He's born, and there's kings showing up, bringing presents, and there's angels singing. But pretty soon, this homicidal king is after him, and his whole family has to flee to Egypt. There's ups and downs. It's, it's the waves of life. Maria did an incredible job speaking about these water-to-wilderness experiences, And it's easy to trust and rely on God when we're in the middle of one of those water experiences. When we're at Chick surrounded by 5,000 other people and you can feel God and you can hear him. Or when we're sitting here surrounded by people of like mind who all love God so much. But then there are the times where we find ourselves groping around in the darkness and the spiritual food and the spiritual water seems to be desperately lacking. But he's there. Right? He's always there. The question is then, how do we keep our focus on him? Psalm 27, 6. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make a melody to the Lord. It may be hard to get into the mood to worship when you're feeling anxious, but I would argue that it's even harder to be anxious when you're worshiping. And what about prayer? Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4, 6. Or 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your anxieties on him, for he cares about you. In talking with one of uh, my co-leaders there at Chick, she expressed how her small group kind of has this saying that, that you can pray or you can worry. Because you can't do both. Here's, here's what I was thinking about as, as all of this stuff is flying through my head. I think a lot of time, our, our worries and our fears are attached to our control issues. And when we can worship God wholeheartedly, It's the process of letting go. And when we can pray and honestly lay our fears and our worries at the feet of God, we are letting go of control and letting him take charge. And I think there might be some wisdom in this idea of allowing the God who created the universe to take care of our problems. He might know one or two things about what's going on. He might have a better understanding of that big picture. But I don't think we can do it alone. I think we need to be here with each other. I think we need to be plugged into small groups who can encourage us. These students who spoke today and the other ones who are sitting in these shirts... They had the privilege of gathering with over 5,000 other people, seeking truth, encouraging each other, and worshiping together. Because the practice of coming together is important. That those moments of tribe experiences are important. Moments where we can remind each other that the wilderness experiences are normal. Moments where we can remind each other that we need to rotate our cups up. Moments where we can pray with each other and moments where we can head out, come together and prepare to head out to share the good news. Because the reality is we have a world out there And I'm sure there are people in this room who don't understand what having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is all about. And the power that comes from knowing he's got your back. There are people out there who are hurting and are doing it all alone. And that, my friends, I think is really scary. So we need to go out. We need to... I just I think of that, that video with all the students with their lights lit up. Imagine what happens when they go out into this world and they share that hope that they have. Imagine the impact we can have in our community when we come together and spur each other on to be the light in our community. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the God of everything and the God who wants to be a part of our lives. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to fear, that we can come together and put all of our trust, all of our hope in you, and there is peace, a peace that surpasses all understanding for us. On the other side, in your son's holy name, we pray these things, and all God's people said, "Amen." One of the other things we got to experience together was we got to do communion together, and communion is is a is a powerful experience to do as a as a community. So today, Greg and I would like to invite you guys to um, participate in communion with us and. I was reminded of a story earlier today when I saw a young man rush up to try and grab a snack from one of our communion tables. <laughs> um, of this other little girl I saw one time, uh, about three years old, after communion had been shared, she went along the, the, uh, went along the pews and she grabbed every cup and licked that puppy out. <laughs> with everything she had. And I'm just, as we're gathering for communion, I just want to encourage you guys to seek Christ the way those children sought communion. (laughs) And I've got to find my place, which I should have been turning to earlier. There we go. (laughs) Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as they are delivered by the gospel, Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, What the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
4: This morning we get the chance to do communion slightly differently than we do every week, and that is that we're going to invite you to come as a family unit and potentially serve each other this morning. If that is uncomfortable for you, that is okay. We have people at each station also, and I would like to invite them forward now to come and find one of your seven stations this morning. We have seven stations so that we can um, help you out more easily. There's one back here, over here, a couple over here, and there's one in the very back on this side that is a gluten-free station um, that if you need to go there, that would be okay so as as a family you can come together as a group of people you can come together and serve one another as an individual you may come and if there are some who would like a holy moment in their own seat in their space we will come and find you so you can just uh, give us a little wave and we'll come and find you and and, uh, serve you in that space that's an okay thing to do as well so this morning as you come um, there will the, the words that will be spoken is that Jesus' blood is shed for us and His body broken for us for the forgiveness of sins. You may hear that between those who come up. and, uh, and that is why we come and take communion to remember, to remember what He has done for us. So I would invite you all to come when you are ready. Uh, all, we're all set up and, and you, can, you can come right away or you can take a few minutes, uh, whatever you would like to do this morning, but we come before the Lord. And, uh, and we know that it's he only who takes away our sin. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you do take sin away. Father, thank you that you fill our cup. And God, as we come this morning, we pray that you would fill our cup in this moment and that we would remember the sacrifice you made for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. Please come.